Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. The past couple weeks, uh, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but more specifically, we've been talking about the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes. Uh, Just a real quick review uh, before I jump into the main part of the message. Um, The Sermon on the Mount was God's announcement that someone greater than Moses has arrived. That the Mosaic law was good, but now we are given the law of grace. And Jesus stands on the Sermon of the Mount and begins giving the law of grace. Um, Jesus gives a more excellent law than the law of Moses, and that is the law of grace. For, or John 1, chapter 16 through, or John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. That Sermon on the Mount is Jesus giving a better way to live, a more Christ-like way to live than the law of Moses. Grace does not diminish the standard. It actually raises the standard. Grace does not just overlook righteousness or unrighteousness. It doesn't overlook sin. It's much, much better than that. It's not a cover-up for sin. I've, I've shared before that Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace. Cheap grace is when we just cover over sin. It's like, like a, the analogy I used last week. It's like a, a kid has a broken toy and he doesn't want his dad to find out. So he hides it behind his back. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of like we think grace is like that. That Jesus is hiding us, the broken ones, behind his back so the father doesn't see him. So when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. But it's actually much better than that. When he looks at us, he doesn't see Jesus. He sees us as Jesus. He sees us actually holy like Jesus was. Actually righteous like Jesus was. That the cross, the blood of Jesus wiped away our sins. And what grace does is it comes in and not hides our sin. But it comes in and empowers us to walk in righteousness. It empowers us to live up to the standard. That the standard was elevated when grace came. But the, the power of grace is that it comes in and it allows us then to meet the standard. To be able to walk in the standard that grace sets. Amen? Grace is better than we ever imagined it to be. It doesn't just pretend we're righteous. It makes us righteous. It empowers us to be holy and righteous and without blemish. Amen? The Beatitudes, which is how Jesus inaugurates the Sermon of the Mount. He starts the Sermon on the Mount with these nine blessed statements. Um, And these statements are not disconnected from one another. They're not divorced from one another. It's not just individual proverbs, but Jesus being the greatest orator who ever lived ties these blessed statements all together that these statements are actually, uh, they take us on a journey through grace. They take us on a journey through grace. And they start with verse number three in Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm probably going to go back between, you know, your more modern blessed and your King James blessed. So just stick with me. It's it's blessed and blessed. They're the same word. I'm not sure the right way to pronounce it. I think it's blessed. 
but it sounds way more preachy to say blessed, so I'll just stick with blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step on the journey of grace is to come to grips with who we are without him. That we cannot depend on our good works and our Christian success to be righteous. That without him, we cannot be righteous. Without him, we cannot be holy. But with him, we can be those things. But our first step is to come to grips with who we are without him. That we are poor in spirit. We are righteous through Jesus and Jesus alone. And we cannot be righteous without him. We are poor in spirit. The second blessed statement is verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not only do we have to come to grips with our spiritual poverty, but it has to affect us deeply. There's a lot of people who know that they're not quite right, right? They're a little wonky. There's a lot of wonkiness in this room even. One of them is holding a microphone right now. <laughs> It's not, it's not enough to recognize your spiritual poverty, but it has to affect you deeply. The worst thing that could happen to us is not to sin. The worst thing that could happen to us is that our sin doesn't affect us. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we become numb to our sin, that we no longer mourn over our spiritual poverty. So not only do we have to recognize our spiritual poverty, we actually, it has to affect us. And we have to mourn over the fact that we are in poverty of spirit. We have to mourn over our sin and never let it become a casual thing to us. It's always a big deal. It's always a big deal. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. He shed his blood. He gave the ultimate price so that our sins could be made well. Sin is a big deal and it can never become casual to us. The next stage in this journey was blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Through the fires of being poor in spirit and then the mourning over that sin, it brings us to this place of meekness or humility. You stop looking at the speck in other people's eyes, in your brother's eye, and you start dealing with the log in your own eye. You begin to approach others' trespasses and your own trespasses differently. You begin judging other people's sin with gentleness and your own with severity. We're, we get real good sometimes at judging other people's sin, don't we? But what poverty of spirit and mourning over sin does is it brings us to a place of humility where we deal more severely with our own sin than we do with others. And we begin judging others with gentleness. Instead of throwing rocks at other people, we come alongside them and seek restoration. After meekness, we have blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Once we have gone through the fires of spiritual poverty, mourning, and meekness, we become hungry then for righteousness. We begin to say things like, God, whatever you ask me to do, I say yes. Whatever it looks like, if I have to lay down relationships, 
if I have to reorganize my time, if I have to change my attitudes, if I have to guard my heart from what I allow to be, myself to be entertained by and what I watch and listen to, then I say yes to it because your righteousness is more important to me than anything else. Living like you and bearing your image becomes more important to me than anything else. You begin hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You begin submitting yourself under spiritual authority and saying, listen, I want you to watch over my life. And if there's any wickedness in me that you see, please bring it to me because I want to be right more than I want to be comfortable. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's where we ended this last week. Now things start to get fun. You know, poverty of spirit, mourning, very necessary, but not as fun, right? <laughs> like nobody is, no, there's no grandma crocheting, uh, I think that's the right word, or knitting on a pillow, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? They're, they're not knitting, blessed are the mourning, right? And, and, and so all of that, though, on the journey is necessary to get us to this point. And here's the point I want to make about the Beatitudes. That the Beatitudes, their primary purpose is not just to get us away from sin. The Beatitudes' primary purpose is to begin making us look more like Jesus. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we become so sin conscious that all we focus on is getting out of sin. What happens when you do that? Let me give you an example. Nobody think of a purple elephant in the room. Don't think of it. What came to your mind immediately? Purple elephant. Unless you're just really cool and you can not think of stuff. But most of us, when we, we can't, as humans, we, don't, we can't think in the negative so when I say don't think of a purple elephant, immediately what comes to our mind is a purple elephant, right? When we become so sin conscious of, God, I don't want to sin. God, I don't want to sin. God, I don't want to sin. What ends up happening? We fall into sin because our mind is sin conscious. Rather, we should live love conscious. That, yes, we don't want to sin, but my primary objective is to look like Jesus. And in looking like Jesus, sin doesn't even have a chance in your life because you are striving for something greater than just not falling. And the Beatitudes come along and yes, they lead us away from sin, but way better than that, way greater than that, they lead us into Christ likeness. At the beginning of the service or at the beginning of this, this sermon series, I shared with you that the primary goal of the Sermon on the Mount in, in its entire three chapters, the primary objective is to show us what it looks like to be Christ-like. It shows us what it looks like to be Christian, which means to be Christ-like. That the journey of grace that Jesus takes us on in the Beatitudes is not meant to just get us out of a sinful lifestyle. It is to transform us into the image of his son, which is Jesus. Amen? So, that's why these next ones are fun, because then we start to see that transformation taking place, that we've dealt with our poverty of spirit. We've come to grips with who we are. We've gone through that process. And now in verse seven, it says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. We start looking like Jesus. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. There's a a minister, his name is Sean Bowles. I've referenced him before. 
he tells some incredible stories, but one story in particular I absolutely love. So Sean was uh, on, a, on a trip. He was speaking at a conference in Hawaii, uh, which I would love to speak at a conference in Hawaii. If, if anybody knows some contacts, you know, the missionary, right? He's speaking at a conference in Hawaii. And after the one, first night, he uh, gets taken back by the ministry uh, team there, drives him to his hotel and drops him off. So he's without a car. Um, what the ministry team, team failed to do was give him dinner to feed him or stop somewhere to get him food. So he said he's in his hotel room and he's, he's getting hungry. And uh, he knows he, he drove, they drove by a subway that wasn't too far down the road. So he gets out, he begins walking. Well, in order to get to the subway, they have to walk, he has to walk through uh, the red district. Um, if you don't know what the red district is, it's, it's the rough part of town. It's the road um, where a lot of drug dealers, prostitutes, a lot of just bad characters uh, do their business. So he has to walk through the red district to get to the subway. As he's walking through, he passes uh, this gentleman who is a transvestite prostitute on the side of the road. And the gentleman begins talking to Sean. Sean, if you know him, he's very prophetic. He begins to have, he feels this word, uh, hears this word from the Lord for, for this gentleman. And he begins sharing this word uh, with this gentleman. And uh, as he's sharing the word, this, this guy just begins to break down and begins crying and just reaches out and grabs Sean and is just a puddle in his arms, just, just crying. And Sean is praying for him. So about this moment, some of the leaders of the conference <laughs> happen to drive by as Sean is hugging this transvestite prostitute. <laughs> Sean goes, gets a subway, and he goes back. A little bit later, he gets a call from this, this, this ministry team. And they're like, um, Sean, we're not sure what's happening here, but... Um, we, we happened to be driving by, and they, they told him that what they saw and everything. And, and uh, Sean began explaining to them what had happened, and, and uh, um, they were just very concerned about it. They, they, tr they believed what was happening, but they were like, man, just the image of it, I'm just not sure about it. And they, one of their questions was, what, what would your wife think? And he's like, well, I don't know. And so he called his wife up, and he said, hey, honey, I, I was uh, ministering and hugging a prostitute in the street. What, what do you think? Is that all right? She's like, oh, yeah, that's, why are you even calling? That's fine. You know, whatever. And they're like, and the, the guy was like, man, you're, you don't, you're not married to the same woman I'm married to, you know, you know, and I love the statement Sean made. He said, if you care too much about your rep reputation, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. You will never see the kingdom of heaven manifested on the earth. That mercy triumphed over his reputation. Jesus found himself in many similar situations as Sean did. I think of the woman caught in adultery. I think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. I think of uh, even just the blind beggars and the lepers and the lame that were on the road. You realize all of that, that, those people, the blind beggars and the lame and the lepers, all of them were looked at as downcast of society because they believed that their illnesses were attributed or were part or were attributed to them because of their lifestyle and their sins. So they were looked at as outcasts and sinners and filthy people. And Jesus just happened to find himself ministering to those people consistently. We see that happening here in Matthew chapter 9. 
Jesus is walking on the road and he sees Matthew the tax collector in his tax booth. And Jesus calls out to him and tells him to come follow him. And Matthew lays down everything and follows Jesus. Later that night, Jesus is at the house with Matthew, the tax collector, and they're having a dinner party. And the guests at this dinner party, the Bible records they were other fellow tax collectors and sinners, it says. Other outcasts of society. The Pharisees happened to be walking by and saw Jesus dining with these men and women who were considered the lowest of society. And they looked at and they saw Jesus and they said, why is this, if he's such a great teacher, why does he associate himself with such lowly people? Why does he spend his time with sinners? And here's what Jesus says. It says, Jesus heard their remarks. When Jesus heard them, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We have to learn well that there is a major difference between advocating for someone's lifestyle and being merciful towards them. There is a major difference between advocating for someone's lifestyle and being merciful towards them. Advocating for someone's lifestyle is coming into agreement with them. Being merciful is being able to come against the behavior and not condemn the person. That you come against the behavior and not condemn the person. You realize, I've said this before, Jesus, yes, spent a lot of time with tax collectors and sinners. But when he was done spending time with them, they were no longer tax collectors and sinners. That mercy is not advocating sin, but rather it's coming against the sin while not condemning the person. Mercy recognizes the brokenness and works to restore the broken one, not discard them. Sometimes I think we are afraid to be merciful in our culture because we think others will take that as us advocating for other sin or being soft on sin. That just like the Pharisees, we think they will look at us and say, why would you associate yourself with somebody who is living that lifestyle? Why would you have relationship with somebody who is living that lifestyle? We're afraid that we will be misunderstood just as the Pharisees misunderstood Jesus and thought he was advocating for their sin. But instead, Jesus came as the physician with the medicine of mercy to heal their sin, to heal their brokenness. And our responsibility as Christians, and as we go through this fire of the Beatitudes, we land on this thing called mercy, where our reputation takes a back seat and we begin not just speaking against sin, but we become, we, we start investing in the person that is broken and mercy then is able to lead them out of the sin and into righteousness. Romans 2, 4 says, it's his kindness that draws men to repentance. 
It's his kindness that draws men to repentance. If you are merciful, people may misunderstand you. Especially Christians. If you are merciful, you may be misunderstood. They may say you are being weak against sin. But rest assured, you are in good company. Because they said the same thing about Jesus. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The next step on the journey is in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It is to be surrendered to Jesus and Jesus alone. To be pure in heart is to lay down your own will to conform to his. To be pure in heart is to lay down your own motives and desires and attentions and conform your motives, desires, and attentions to his, to his motives, desires, and intentions. Here, here's, here's one of the best definitions I've heard. To be pure in heart is to will one thing. To be of a single mind, and that is to know him and to be like him. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible, one of my favorite Psalms, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized, Psalms 24. I said I memorized it. It's been a while, so I'm going to read it <laughs> to make sure I get it right. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness in all its fullness, the world and all who dwell therein, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation who seeks him, who seeks your face. It says in there, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place. It says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted his soul to an idol. Nor sworn deceitfully. What is, what is deceitfulness? Deceitfulness is to have two wills. Deceitfulness, or let me say it this way, a better way. Deceitfulness is to have a divided will. You desire to be viewed one way. But in the shadows... You are someone else. In the shadows, you are someone else. A good example of this we see in scripture is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he falls before his feet and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit the kingdom, to go to heaven? What do I need to do? Jesus gives him some, some of the law and tells him some of the law. And the, the young man says, I've kept all of this since my youth. I've done all of these things. What must I do? And Jesus looks at him and he says, sell all of your possessions. Give it all to the poor. Take up your cross and come follow me. The Bible says that he was sad at that word and he left sorrowful because he had great and many possessions. The problem was, is he had a divided will. On the one hand, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to know what it meant to inherit eternal life. 
But he had this other thing that he wanted to. He had this other will, which was to live that lavish lifestyle that he wanted to live, which was to keep his possessions and be able to sit in his palace and play with his toys and and have the money and the finances and the servants and all of those things. He had a divided will. What is it to be pure in heart? To be pure in heart is to will one thing, to be single-minded, minded, and that one thing is to seek after God with everything you have. It says in uh, Psalms, uh, I think it's 27 or 37, Psalms um, 27, it says one thing, David says, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that is to seek him. That is to dwell in his tabernacle and to behold the beauty of the Lord. To be pure in heart is to be single-minded. James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But to be pure in heart is to have singleness of mind and to desire one thing. Jesus shows us this vividly in scripture. What does he keep saying? I seek not my will, but the will of my father. John 4, when he's talking to the woman at the well, he says, my food, or I'm sorry, he's talking to his disciples. He says, my food is to do the will of my father. And then finally in Matthew 26, Jesus is in the garden, the night of his crucifixion. What does he do? He looks to heaven and he says, God, if this cup can pass for me, let it, but not my will, but yours be done. To be pure in heart is to desire one thing, is to not have a divided will, but to have a pure will, and that is his will. We are single-minded, amen? Verse nine on this journey, the next step. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a peacemaker is to be liberated from the spirit of hatred and revenge and to live with a spirit of love and reconciliation. Let me say that one more time. To be a peacemaker is to be liberated from a spirit of hatred and revenge and to live with a spirit of love and reconciliation. Speaking of the night before Jesus died, Jesus is brought before the, the, the council and the Pharisees come and they, they uh, accuse him falsely. They call him a false prophet. They call him a blasphemer. They accuse him falsely. He's taken to the cross. He's ordered to be executed and all of the crowd the crowd that, that he once was ministering to, he was teaching, the ones that he was healing and they were bringing their sick and he was healing their bodies. The very ones that he was ministering to were now crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The soldiers whipped him and beat him. They took their fists and they punched him and they took their whips and they ripped open his back and then they laid him on a cross and nailed him to the tree and then lifted him up. And then Jesus, after being bloodied and tortured, looks out on the Pharisees who wrongly accused him. He looks out on the men and women who once loved him and loved when he ministered to him, but were now yelling crucified. And he looked out at the Roman soldiers who had at their hands tortured him and beat them. And he looks at all of them while hanging on the cross and says, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. That Jesus was never the crucifier. He was always the crucified. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus was never the crucifier. He was willing to be crucified. And his crucifixion brought peace. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And here's the part. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. This beatitude is difficult because it calls us to lay down our right for vengeance and our right to make things fair and even and our right to justify ourselves. And this beatitude forces us to echo Jesus's words on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was always the crucified. He was never the crucifier. And being a peacemaker requires us to lay down our right. And listen, it's, it's our right for vengeance. If somebody wrongs us, we feel like we have a right to make that right, don't we? But God says, he tells us in his word, vengeance is mine. And we are called to be peacemakers. Jesus was always the crucified. He was never the crucifier. If you ever find yourself with the crowd shouting crucify, then you might want to take a walk back through these beatitudes. Because in order to look like Jesus, we have to be the peacemakers. I could spend a while on that and tell you the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Because a lot of times peacemakers don't necessarily, that being a peacemaker doesn't mean necessarily avoiding conflict at all costs. Sometimes it's through conflict that you make peace. I understand that. But my main point I want to share with you today is this, that we're never the ones yelling crucify. But we're like Jesus. And we uh, instead yell, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the kingdom of God, or for they, I'm sorry, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Speaking of being crucified, everyone's favorite blessed statement, verse 12, or 10 and 12 through 12, says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Hallelujah. <laughs> They're persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus ends his beatitudes, his journey of grace, the road of being coming more like Christ with persecution. And it is only, this is funny to me, it's the only blessed statement that is repeated twice. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those 
who are reviled and persecuted for my name's sake. Jesus repeats it twice. I'm not sure why other than he just wants to drive the point home that I guess we may, might as well just be ready for persecution. Why does he end his Beatitudes with persecution? Because after going through the fires of the Beatitudes, your mercy, your purity, your peacemaking flies in the face of other people's sin and darkness. One of my favorite quotes from Billy Graham, he said this, the cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evil inside of us. You can take that word cross and replace it with the name of Jesus. Jesus is offensive because it directly confronts the evil inside of us. How does somebody like Jesus, who is perfect love, right? Jesus is perfect love. We all agree on that? I hope so, because it says it in the Bible, that Jesus is perfect love. The gentle spirit of Jesus. How does somebody who is perfect love end up on a cross? Have you ever wondered that? Somebody who is perfect love. How does that person end up on a cross? Because love is offensive to those who love darkness. So why does Jesus tell us, blessed are the persecuted? Why, why do we expect persecution? Because as we go through the Beatitudes, we begin looking more and more like Jesus. And when you look more and more like Jesus, your mercy, your, your grace, your peacemaking, all of those things infuriates those who live in darkness because it did to Jesus. Persecution isn't a sign of the end times, as we often say. Persecution is a sign that you're looking more like Jesus. Amen? John chapter 15. Stay with me here. You all still with me? We've we're, got a couple more scriptures. One more, or a couple more scriptures here. John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, or if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you to come out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, or remember, it's dark up here, I'm sorry. Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If, the, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. That's an important statement right there. Why do they do that? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't know his goodness yet. And so it's offensive when they see mercy, love, joy, grace, all of those things, it's offensive to them because they haven't seen Jesus yet. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would, not, they would have, I'm sorry, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sins. He who hates me hates my father also. That the world hates us because now through the looking like Jesus, it exposes their sin. Let's look at John, 1 John chapter 3. It says, the be this beautiful message 
you've heard right from the start is that we should walk in self-sacrificing love towards one another. We should not be like Cain who yielded to the evil one and brutally murdered his own brother, Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers righteous. So don't be shocked, beloved brothers and sisters, if, if you experience the world's hatred. Why did Cain murder Abel? Why did Cain murder Abel? Because Abel was righteous and Cain was still walking in unrighteousness. And because of that evil living inside of him, he hated righteousness and it caused him to murder his brother. So don't be shocked, the Bible says, beloved brothers and sisters, if you experience the world's hatred. So blessed are the persecuted because even though the worldly kingdom may come against you, your inheritance is the kingdom of heaven and your reward, it says, comes from the king himself. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. The Bible is amazing because it gives us this introduction, this road, this journey of grace. And what this journey of grace does, once again, is it begins, it doesn't just drive us away from sin, but it causes us to become more like Jesus. You know, our responsibility on this earth is to become image bearers. You know, when God created us in Genesis uh, chapter 2, when he created us, it says that he made us in his own image. That our job and our duty is to be image bearers, to look like our Father. And Jesus came and he died on the cross, not just to relieve us from our sins, but to allow us to step back into what we were, what we were created for, which is to bear his image and to look like our Father. And these Beatitudes is this journey, not just coming away from sin, but it's coming into Christ-likeness. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, hallelujah. God, I thank you for the Beatitudes. I thank you for this journey of grace that you gave us. Father, that it shows us how to begin to step in to what it means to bear your image into the earth. God, I pray that as we take that journey, Father, that you would uh, give us that grace that you promised us that would empower us to take that journey of the Beatitudes, that take that journey of grace, that we may become more and more like you on the earth, Father. God, give us the grace to take that journey and to walk and to become more like you. God, we thank you that you love us enough to come and to save us. But Father, that you have also invited us into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit, that we may look like you and talk like you and act like you. And it is through bearing your image to the world that others will be saved and set free. God, we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.